For scripture this morning is Psalm 104, verses 1 through 9, and also 24. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Your, <clears throat> o Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with the splendor and the majesty. He wraps himself in the light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent, and he lays the beams of his upper chamber on the waters. He makes the clouds of his chariot and rides in the wings of the wind. He makes the winds of the messengers, flames of fire of his servants. He sets the earth on its foundation. It can never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with the garment, the waters that stood with the mountains. But at your rebuke, the waters fled, and at the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down to the valleys. You are the boundaries they cannot cross, and never again will they cover the earth. How many of your works, O Lord, in the wisdom you make them all. Third, second scripture reading today is from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 1 through 10. Hebrews 5, 1 through 10. Every high priest chosen among mortals is put in charge of things pertaining to God on their behalf to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is subject to weakness. And because of, because of this, he must offer sacrifice for his own sins, as well as for those of the people. And one does not presume to take this honor, but takes it only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by those who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you all. Our gospel reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 10, uh, verse 35. It looks like we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark for quite some time more. Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want for me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right side and one at your left side, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized in the baptism that I am baptized with? And they replied, Yes, sir, we are able. And then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and the baptism in which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not for me to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And then the ten heard this, and they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. 
But whoever wishes to be great among you must also be a servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be a slave to all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. So we start this morning with our good brothers, James and John. But uh, we, we start with James and John, right? We, we start with James and John, the son of Zebedee, who are playing the card that the Pharisees play, right? They're playing that straight one right out of their handbook. Two weeks ago, I spoke to you guys about how the goal of the Pharisees was to trick Jesus. And for some crazy reason, James and John decided to see if this would work in their favor as well. Maybe they thought it might work. So the first thing they ask of Jesus is some crazy, what I call like a toddler question. Teacher, will you do whatever it is I ask of you? Will you do whatever I want? Have your kids ever said something like this to you? I know mine certainly have. Hey, Mama, can we do something fun today? Both parents and teachers and Jesus knew that such open-ended questions will end up with a follow-up question that nobody wants, right? Can we do something fun today always leads to a request of something outside the norm that requires like extensive money or time or messiness um, that nobody wants. No, I do not want to let you draw on yourself with chalk today. That's not something I want to do. No, I do not want to take you to build a bear for no reason. And no, John, I do not want to do whatever you want just because you want it, right? That's a crazy question. So Jesus' reply is typical of such an asinine question, and he simply says, what do you want? Like, just tell me, what do, what do you want? What do you really want? And you can tell that in this, James and John have been scheming, right? They've been coming up together and thinking of these things. Like they got together and they said, what is the best possible outcome for us in the life to come? They say, hey, Jesus, we got an idea. We would like to sit on your right and your left hand, respectively, and when it comes to your coming glory. That's what we want, Jesus. We want to sit next to you. And this passage comes directly after Jesus explains the passion to them for the third time. For the third time, he sits down the disciples and says, this is what's happening, guys. I'm going to die, and then I'm going to come back. And he explains all of this. And it's like in this moment, James and John, they're finally getting it right? For the first time in the gospel of Mark, we can see that they're finally getting it, that bad things are about to happen, that the end is not going to be what they want it to be, so James and John need to make a plan B, right? James and John need to figure out what to do. Let's forget about the other 10. Let's forget what they're going to do, and let's make sure that we self-preserve, that we make it good for me, But in their extreme ignorance, they don't see what they are doing is the exact opposite of self-preservation. And Jesus then tries to tell them, you have no idea. You have no idea what you're asking of me. For those of us that know the end to the passion story, we can look to this and know that the glory is the very cross that our Savior died then sitting next to Jesus in glory does not mean some glorious meeting in the air. This means being present with Jesus in suffering. What they were asking was to be the criminals at the right and left hand of our Father. They were asking to hang next to Jesus, to die with him. 
So Jesus then asks, are you prepared to drink this cup? Are you prepared to be dipped in the same waters of baptism as me? Basically, are you prepared to suffer with Jesus? Is that what you're prepared to do? And in their ignorance, James and John, they say, why, yes. Yes, God. The disciples allowed the fear of the unknown and in the fear of being in a place where they lacked position to influence how they interacted with Jesus. They could see the writings on the wall. There was not going to be an earthly kingdom like they thought. The Messiah was leaving. So what's left? What's left in it for me? Let me hurry up and secure my spot. The lack of security can influence people to do some crazy things, can it? Those of you that were here Wednesday night may have heard Corey speak about this a little bit. But this past Tuesday, Corey and I went to hear a Holocaust survivor by the name of Ms. Eva Schloss. She spoke at the University of Memphis. Eva Schloss grew up in Austria, and then she immigrated to Denmark. And eventually she ended up in the ghettos of Amsterdam, becoming a playmate of the famous Anne Frank. Before being forcibly deported and then sent to the death camp at Auschwitz-Birkenau, where she was beaten and starved and forced to work 18-hour days at the age of 13. At Birkenau, she was separated from her father and her brother, who eventually died, but she managed to survive the death camp with her mother by realizing that the nurse of Dr. Death himself, Dr. Mangala, which I'm sure many of you have probably heard of, the nurse of Dr. Mangala happened to be a distant cousin of hers and would slip her rations under the table and help preserve her life. She was liberated by the Russians and survived. After the war, they were repatriated to Holland where they reconnected with the father of that childhood friend, Mr. Otto Frank. Otto Frank and Miss Eva's mother were eventually married and made their life's work, the Holocaust Remembrance, and the publication and the translation of the diary of Anne Frank. So in other words, she is Anne Frank's stepsister. It, in her first-hand account of this horrible work of the Nazis, it was so moving and gut-wrenching. But I think what moved me more than anything else was her memories right before the war, where she was 9 and 10 and 11, and where when things began to turn in Austria and in Amsterdam, where she had childhood friends where she grew up with and she'd go to their homes every day, and then one day she went to their home and the mother shut her door in her face and said, you can't play here anymore. You're a Jew. Or when her slightly older brother came home bloody and beat up when they had moved to Amsterdam because his friends, his friends were the ones that attacked him for being a Jew. Or when the shopkeepers that used to make sure they were fed and taken care of decided that they couldn't sell to them anymore because they were Jewish. People that they knew and cared for turned on them and forgot about them. And it's hard to wrap our minds around this and to wrap our heads around it. And it's something that I think at some point we don't like to take a lot of ownership of. We often look at this horrible piece of history and we say, this was an issue between German and Jew. But if we can frame it in our context, in this place, in a place of a church, we can honestly say this was a conflict between Christian and Jew because any German that was not a Jew at that point in time was a person of our faith. They were Christians. It was Christians that did this. 
It was Christians that persecuted the Jews. This week I also read a series, I don't know if any of you are familiar with Humans of New York, but it just happened at the same time I was doing this Holocaust thing. I was reading about the Rwandan genocide in Humans of New York, which is a photography series that has extended um, captions that allow you to get a greater insight into what the pictures are. And in this photography series, they did a series on the Rwandan genocide this week. If you're unfamiliar with the Rwandan genocide, it wasn't 60, 80, 90 years ago. It was 20 years ago. It was the mid-90s. I guess that might be 30 years ago now. But it was the mid-90s, and it was between the Hutu and the Tutsi people in Rwanda. And this guy, this man right here was a pastor in Rwanda at the time. And he hid over 300 people in the gates of his church. He was Hutu, which was the assailing people. The Tutsis were the ones as a part of the genocide. But he was a pastor, and he hid 300 people in his church. And as they were running out of food and water, and the army came to raid and to murder the people that he had hidden, he said that he could see men from his congregation, machete in hand, with the army coming to prepare to exterminate the cockroaches, as they called the Tutsi people. Now, why am I saying all of this? Why am I bringing up genocide on a Sunday morning? Because I think we all need to be reminded that when we let fear get in the driver's seat of our faith, that we deviate from the ways of Jesus. When we let fear drive our faith, we end up looking for positions of power like James and John. But Jesus is screaming at us from his place of power, which is the cross. And he's saying, look at me and follow me and follow the ways of the cross. We can't walk with Jesus apart from the suffering of Jesus. And he never promised us security. He always promised us sacrifice. And at the end of this text, he reinforces what he is continually trying to tell the disciples and continually trying to tell us by saying the first has, has to be last and the last will be first. And to be servants of the kingdom is the only way to be a part of the kingdom. But how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we push fear aside in our lives? How can we boldly say, I won't be like those 1940s German Christians? That's easy to say, right? I won't be like those 1990s Hutu Christians. I'm different. My faith is different. How can we say that we won't be silent in the face of great suffering? But I have to feel like we must never have to ask, when do we act if we are always acting? if we are persistently following the ways of Jesus, if we are consistently drinking of the cup and being dipped in the same waters of baptism, if we are sharing consistently in the suffering of our Christ, then we won't have to question when to speak up when atrocities happen, when atrocities of this life inevitably come to every individual, if we have never stopped speaking. Never stop speaking. There's more to the story from this Rwandan pastor. When the men with the machetes came and they lined up all 300 people that he had hidden in his church, and he recognized the faces of his parishioners. He didn't run, he didn't hide, and he didn't beg to be the only one that was saved. But what he did was he began to shout. He said, brother, 
I will meet my Jesus tonight. How about you? Brother, I will find my heaven tonight. How about you? And in the midst of all this, the murderers argued amongst themselves and they fled. And 300 people escaped death that day in Rwanda. In the face of great fears, we know that the gospel tells us that perfect love always casts out fear. Love not just for God, but for our neighbor. When the pastor saw the faces of his would-be killers, he called them brother. And then he preached the gospel. He loved them. And he never stopped speaking. And through his love, we see the liberation of a people. When we don't let fear separate us from the gospel, it is not our own selves that finds the freedom of Christ, but it's all of those around us. We all find Jesus, and we all find freedom. In a moment, we're going to observe communion. And we celebrate an open table in this place, a place that is open for all. But the Lord's table is scandalous in that it liberates both the oppressed and the oppressor. It is not a reward for those who are reconciled with God, but it sanctifies us. It sanctifies us through making peace with one another. We say we want to get right with God. We want to get right with Him. But God says, okay, we'll get right with them. At the table, it is a place where we can get right with our brothers and sisters. Our dear friend Chuck Strong always told me, it is hard to hate someone at the communion table. It is hard to look at someone in the eye and offer them the body in the blood of Christ with animosity. The communion table is where hate goes to die. So today we take communion as a reminder of the very love of Jesus. That his glory is on the cross. And that when we take part in the suffering of Jesus, when we join with him in service, when we join with him in love, we are joining in liberation. And there's a song we're going to play during communion by a band called The Brilliance. It's pretty. But it asks the question, does the cost of security bankrupt our humanity? And then in Spanish, it declares, let freedom reign. Let it rain in this place. And I pray that that's our prayer today and the prayer of all of us for all time. Lord, let freedom reign in our lives and the lives of those around us. That we can live a life free from fear because we found freedom in the gospel. Let us pray.